have chain, chains is a chain. Yeah, he has stands for pretty fucking chain. Welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Rory. My name is Katie. And I'm your host, Jake. And today, we're talking about the murder of Rick Chance. And where did you do your research on this one, Jake? So many places. You would be amazed. My main source for this was uh, a mini websites, mainly malefactorregister.com, findagrave.com, glassonweb.com, and abc15.com, which is Phoenix's ABC affiliate. There were other sites I used to corroborate that information, uh, but, you know, we don't need to list them. We also used episode six of season six of the television show Snapped Killer Couples. God damn, it was so exceptionally produced. I mean, it was 15 minutes of information repeated every 15 minutes. It was so bad. <laughs> every time they gave you one more sentence after each commercial break. And then what do you think happened? Flash to 15 minutes before that where they showed police in Tempe. Man, it was bad. Just It wasn't it w- good. Listen to this episode instead of watching it. We watched it for you. Yeah, we did. Well, you want to go ahead and uh, start us off, Jake? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Have you ever wondered who created the loud, deal-making, over-the-top TV personalities of the 90s? Me neither. Did you ever wonder what it was like to be a pioneer of the era known in regional markets for your corny punchlines and outrageous deals for free, fancy food? Me either. Did you remember such a character being robbed and murdered in a Phoenix hotel room in the early 2000s? Me neither. Luckily for you, it popped up when I was uh, Googling famous crimes in Arizona, and it jogged my memory. Back to my childhood. So now, I'm going to tell you guys a little story about this fancy dude, Rick Chance. Now this is a story all about how Rick Chance got murdered in the hotel. Charles Richard Chance was born August 1st, 1958. Little information is available about his childhood, but a couple of sources cited him as growing up on a farm in a suburb of the capital city, Phoenix. One site said he was uh, on a farm in Tempe, and another site uh, said he was on a farm south of Phoenix, which Tempe is. South of Phoenix. Oh, yeah, it is. So, same. (laughs) So, delete all that. Yeah. So, he grew up on a farm. (laughs) In Phoenix. How many farms are there in Phoenix? Well, back then, I think there was a lot of farms in Mm. Phoenix. Now, it's just all the outskirts with the milk cows. Phoenix farms, huh? Evidently not happy with the name Charles, Chuck, Richard, or Dick, he decided to go by Rick. He had a lot of options there with Charles Richard Chance as a name. Man, Chuck. Chuck's what I would have gone with for sure. Chuck Chance. Mm -hmm. Take your chance with Chuck Chance. Oh, man, you imagine how much glass he would have sold. (laughs) Rick graduated from Maricopa High School sometime in the late 70s and married his first wife, Norianne Rose, on January 17th, 1979, in a good old-fashioned Las Vegas wedding. From the few accounts of people who were friends with Rick Chance, this seemingly fit perfectly with his personality. Rick lived life in the fast lane, was known as a showman, and wasn't one to let much get in his way of what he wanted. He went on to attend Central Arizona and Grand Canyon University, where he must have had some exceptional business teachers. With this knowledge and his goals in mind, he started Empire Glass Company in the early 80s. In 1982, he was just getting started and had no employees. During that decade, he built an empire with locations all over the Southwest and up the coast to Washington. It came with hard work, but it also came with an idea he had that auto glass companies in Arizona still do to this day. 
He decided he was going to offer free food for every customer who got their windshield replaced. Up to 10 free meals, in fact, and not from McDonald's. The only commercial I could find on YouTube, he gave away 10 free meals to Monty's La Casa Vieja, which is steakhouse in down by ASU. My dad okay. used to go there all the time. I've been there once because he took me there when I was a kid, and he was like, you got to see this place. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty expensive, as I recall. Monty's, if you're still around and made it through the pandemic, give us some steak. For the price of on the house. On the house. Or if we got a fan out there who wants to send us some Monty's. Send us some steak. Send us some motherfucking steak. Let's be clear here. Beef, please. I don't <laughs> want any weird thing you Ron find. wants a fucking pant snake. No turtle, turtle meat, please. No turtle steak. Steak. Shark steak, I'm out. Glass companies already upcharged insurance companies up to 500% over the cost of the glass. So Rick figured he could bring in more business, make happier customers, and just let the insurance company foot the bill. It worked, but not immediately. More than one insurance company tried to sue Empire Glass, but Rick Chance was such a smooth pimp daddy, he beat the lawsuits, and by 2000, Empire Auto Glass was bringing in $13 million in revenue a year. Because everyone knows that smooth pimp daddies always beat the rap. Always. Yeah. Rick married his second wife during this time period, Christine, and they had two children, a daughter, Stephanie, and a son, Charles Richard Chance II. So Rick hated his own name so much and then decided to just pass it on to his child? I don't know if he hated his name. What if he just really liked the alternative of his middle name? He didn't obviously like Charles. Why didn't he just name him Richard Chance II? Business was booming, so much so that Chance had a hard time finding local restaurants that were open to the idea of giving away that many free meals. Like, come on, ten free meals? Not forgetting who he owed his success to, Rick awarded himself with a nice $2.1 million salary. Is that $2.1 million a year for how many years? Since the beginning? Well, I think he gave him this salary, himself this salary uh, sometime in the early 2000s, so I guess it was for two or three years. Despite the success, as seemed to be his M.O., Rick wanted to get his grubby paws into other cookie jars, and he began designing and selling jewelry. Ultimately, this would prove to be one of his more unfortunate decisions. In 1993, something happened to Rick that probably should have taught him a thing or two about flaunting wealth, jewelry, and his penchant for the extravagant. While staying at a resort, Rick met a woman in the restaurant who expressed interest in some of his jewelry designs. Rick invited her back to his house to look at designs. And unfortunately for Rick, he didn't get what he expected out of the encounter. And instead, the woman drugged him and stole the jewelry. That could happen to anyone. Anyone with six figures in jewelry in their pocket, yes. I mean, yeah, I saw somewhere they said it was around $70,000. Well, I saw one account that said it was seventy thousand, and then I saw another account that said it was more in the eight to nine hundred thousand range, with most of the items being worth about seventy thousand. Interesting. Who carries that much jewelry on them anyway? Anyone in the world actually think that's a good idea? Write in, let us know. Say, hey, this is my address. I carry tons of jewelry on me all the time, and we'll read it out on the air. But this was at his house. I mean, it's not totally unheard of to keep tons and tons of jewelry at your house. Yeah, but he had it on him. That's how he attracted her. He maybe didn't have all of it, but he definitely had some of it. Oh, he was iced. He was definitely, like, iced teed up for sure. 
Am I saying that right? But I mean, she didn't steal everything that was only on him, did she? Didn't she? No, like, she he stole. brought everything out and like he was showing he her. Some, and then a good amount of stuff, yes. How quick do those drugs take effect, Katie? Like date rape drugs? Yeah, quickly. GHB or whatever it is. Quickly. He actually was, uh, one of his friends was like, well, because he wasn't really like embarrassed about that like you would have thought he would be. And one of his friends was like, or he had actually told his friend, Oh, it's just jewels. They're all insured. They'll be replaced. And one of his buddies was like, yeah, but you're behind can't be. Being a local celebrity, the media was all over the situation, and the entire Chance family was immediately thrown into an unwanted limelight. Christine wasn't having any of that shit, and she left Rick taking the kids and filing for divorce. Rick, though maybe a bit embarrassed, didn't change his habits. He still carried six figures in jewelry around with him, and he still showed his booty to just about anyone who looked his way. This man didn't learn his lesson. Okay, so now how much of this is he wearing, and how much does he just have like in a suitcase locked in this hotel? I don't know exactly. I haven't seen any pictures of him wearing extravagant amounts of jewelry, but I feel like he just kept a lot of it in a bag because it seems like he's always getting, he's always get, losing the bag. Gets the bag, then they lose the bag, as the kids would say. Was the woman that drugged him and stole his jewelry ever arrested? Could not find any information about her. I think she was a thief in the night. So how how do these people get away with this? Like I don't re- understand the idea behind. Dr- do the drugs make you forget? I think more than likely he wasn't concerned about pursuing it legally because he's he rich. said it was insured. Insured, yeah. And the cops are like. Uh, yeah, we're probably not going to get anywhere with that, buddy. Uh, I, unless it's between here and the Dunkin' Donuts. The Tempe police sound like Boston <laughs> cops. All cops sound like Boston cops to me. Hey, get in your fucking car. Put your hands in the fucking air. Hey, Fredericks, you want to hit donkeys on the way home? That was terrible, actually. I don't know what the fuck that was. 1996 brought a third marriage for Chance, and this time he'd wed former Mrs. America, Jill Scott. So, just a side note... I did not know there was a Mrs. America. Never heard of it before. I thought it was a mistype on the first thing that I read, and I had to go back and verify that it was a thing. So is it different from the Miss America yeah, pageant? Yeah, totally. you got to be married. For... In, a com- in a move of complete originality, Rick took his new bride-to-be to Sin City to sign a few years of his life away. Somehow, through an opening event for downtown's Fremont Street Experience, they ended up being married on live television. On Good Morning America with Diane Sawyer, to be exact. Oh, did Diane Sawyer wed them? Yeah, I think she was... Uh, the officiant? The officiant. She got on, like, dial-up back in the day and got uh What do they call it when you get, get your little uh, Ordained? priesthood? Ordained. Yeah, you get to be a priest. Jill Scott could probably have her own episode. She had quite a few legal issues and most comical to me... Well, maybe not most comical. They're all kind of funny, but... She was sued by the Mrs. America pageant because she had been separated from her husband when she won in 1991. They were real sour about that, and they won. She had to pay back a bunch of money and relinquish. Give, give up the title. I think she had. To, yeah, I think she'd won more than one year, but yeah, that year she had to give up her title. I don't know. There's a whole lot of information actually about her. If you want to take a look, just Google her name, Jill Scott, Mrs. America, and you'll find everything you need to know. One source also stated that Scott's ex-husband had accused her of plotting a bizarre scheme to have him kidnapped. Couldn't find any more information on that, but that entertained the shit out of me. Kidnapped and killed or just kidnapped? It only said kidnapped, so 
See, I think when women kidnap, they kidnap to force love, right, Katie? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Th- women kidnappers, wildly common. We think, see mm-hmm. them all the time. At this point, Rick was balls to the wall trying to make a name for himself in the jewel world. He had placed ads in the classified advertising diamonds at rock bottom prices. Another ad bragged wholesale pricing on Rolex watches. One day, the phone rang, inquiring about one of the ads, and Rick set up a meeting at a presumably high-end restaurant in the coming days. Do we know for sure that his Rolexes and stuff were real? I don't know for sure, and that's really interesting because you have to have a uh, license to sell Rolexes technically, which is why his were so cheap. Pretty interesting. He was selling Romexes. Romex. Robert Lemke, a 24-year-old transplant from Washington State, came to Arizona after legal troubles in Washington State proved to be too difficult for his feeble mind to handle. He had little going for him aside from his appearance. In line with the time, Lemke had frosted tip hair, and his physique was described in multiple sources as chiseled. He was a real Fabio. Lemke took what he was given and, in a short time, had become quite successful as an exotic dancer for the Pink Kitty Strippers. Anyway, here's the thing. Why would a bunch of dudes stripping be called the Pink Kitty Strippers? That I'm guessing just sounds that, gross. I'm guessing that it was a, a co- co-ed uh, oh. strip, oh. strip. And, you know, their name... Do this those is, exist? This is from a fully different time, so strippers was acceptable back then to just name your company the Pink Kitty Strippers. I got the impression that, at least when he was getting his start in the world, that he was, like, one of the rental-style services where they... He was uh, also a licensed escort, which I didn't know was a thing. For bachelorette parties and dates. Yeah, like not actual sex. They were like, take off your clothes and shake your junk in my face type thing. He drove a Cadillac, kept bully breed dogs, and in general had some real toxic masculinity issues. Anyways, one day he was perusing through the classifieds looking for a good deal on a high point or a Glock or something. And he came across an ad for Rolex watches... And suddenly, an itty-bitty, teeny-tiny, nightlight-sized bulb turned on in Robert's head. Brandy Lynn Hungerford was born in South Korea, but was adopted by an American family with the name Hungerford in a very conservative area of Michigan. Her family moved to Arizona towards the end of her high school uh, years, specifically Tempe, Arizona, and she had plans to attend ASU and become a nurse. Being a college student, as we all know, is tough, and while looking for work, she came across an ad for female models. She called the number, and the rest is history. According to one source, Brandy was licensed in Maricopa County as an escort under the names Eden and Tiara. Along with this, Brandy ended up an extremely successful exotic dancer working at a popular gentleman's club in Tempe, bringing in up to 1200 bucks a night. It was at that club that she met and became close with Robert Lemke, and they were about to hatch a plan to land themselves in a Big old pile of cash. Well, actually, Brandy's kind of, um, her story's kind of sad because she originally started stripping to help pay the bills when her father was dying of cancer. And it kind of, I, I don't know if this, the story that we saw was oriented to make you feel bad for her or something like that, but she did have like a, a real connection with her father. And so, she was originally dancing to help pay for his medical bills and things like that, and that sort of became, after he died, just a, a lust for money, from what people were saying. Brandy first met up with Rick in the late spring, early summer of 2002. The two went out a couple of times under the guise that Brandy was interested in purchasing jewels. 
According to Brandy, Rick was interested in more than that and thought that his money could buy her sexy time, which she said it could not. Unfortunately for Rick, Brandy had other plans to get the bag, none of which included dating Rick or boning Rick. So she was an escort, correct? Yes. Did he ever pay her for her time? I don't... That's not listed anywhere, really. Yeah, actually, it wasn't listed. I don't think he did, which should have been a bit of a uh, red flag to him right off the bat, probably. But he was the type of guy who just assumed that she was into him, and he had the money, so that's probably why she was into him. If you haven't figured it out by now, Limke and Hungerford were planning to steal a bunch of jewels from Rick. Robert had convinced Brandy to meet Rick and gain his trust, which she had, and now all they had to do was get Rick to bring a shit ton of jewels to Brandy, or take her to a shit ton of jewels. Luckily for them, if we've learned anything so far, it's that Rick Chance is a bit gullible when it comes to the lure of the ladies. Leaving nothing to chance, Limke and Hungerford tracked Rick to a coffee shop, where Brandy fabricated an accidental encounter and easily enough convinced Rick to take her back to his house for some jewel activities. They chilled, smoked some early 2000s Arizona weed, and talked. And if you're wondering, early 2000s Arizona weed was not good. Yeah, how was how how was nine year old doing nine year old Jake doing smoking that that sweet sweet cheaper back? I then? didn't smoke it, but my brother has been smoking it since he was probably like sixteen. Ah, okay. And uh, he always had the dirtiest nasty <laughs> weed. As was the plan, at some point, Brandy excused herself to the bathroom to call Robert and tell him the house address. Not luckily for them, Brandy got a bit too stoned and couldn't remember the house address. We've all been there, but not off shitty dirt weed. Maybe he found someone with good weed. Limke drove around the area waiting for the call, but it never came. Brandy later said in an, inter- in an interview with the cops, quote, I couldn't remember what street Chance lived on because he was asking me which street does he live on, and I told him, I, I, I don't know. It would take another six weeks after their first botched robbery attempt for Brandy and Robert to get a chance at stealing the jewels. Rick had been wary of Brandy since the encounter at the house, but eventually he relented and agreed to go on a date with her. They went to P.F. Chang's where they ate and prepared for the night on the town. Presumably pre-game in a bit. P.F. Chang's? Yeah, P.F. Chang's (laughs) pre-game. I've never been to P.F. Chang's. They got alcohol, right? Oh, yeah, only the best pre-game, pre-game drinks in the business. It's not like a... It's a restaurant. Yeah, it's like a sit-down restaurant. You don't go there to, like, drink and get drunk and then go out and go to more bars. If you're Rick you Chance, eat. you might. I've only been there a few times. Not very good No. for how much money it is. Brandy recalled that it was fun and that Rick, being the fun-loving guy that he was, had drawn a big old penis on a piece of paper and stuck it to his statue because the statue had a tiny penis. He wanted to up the ante. He was Big Johnson type of fellow. He did have that big dick energy he put on statues. <laughs> did he um, just carry around paper and tape to like <laughs> put dicks on statues? Otherwise, why did he have this like just this, at hand? So this man has a first date plan. P.F. Chang's, some drinks, take your pad and paper outside, drop penis, stick it on the statue. What's wrong with that? That's a good first date. I hope that it, the statue was right in front of the restaurant. He's like, look, it's penis Chang's. I guess the statue was in, like, a fountain. <laughs> so he had to climb through the water to put a fucking dick on the statue? That's what That's I That's how you from show it. that you're a high roller. You don't give a fuck about your shoes. Yeah, you just walk in there and fucking hang brain on the statue. You're like, I got my socks on too, bitch. If that was a first date for me, I would not be thrilled. He's going to shoot fireworks off right now. Their next date was a few days later. 
Brandy and Robert had already planned how the night was going to end for Rick. Rick took a date with Brandy for some fun and to later meet a potential client for the sale of a couple of million dollars worth of jewelry. After dinner, Brandy had suggested getting a room at the nearby hotel so they could have a few drinks in private. And you know Rick was more than down. He loves drinking in private. He loves drinking in private. Robert was waiting at the hotel for the two to show up. Brandy and Rick were caught on the security camera at the hotel check-in. Rick seemed relaxed as he and Brandy got the keys for their room and headed to the elevator. They fooled around a bit before Brandy slipped into the bathroom and called Robert to give him the room number. Brandy made an excuse to leave the room to get ice for their drinks. While in the hallway, she met Robert and directed him to the room. Robert entered with his gun out and demanded the bag full of jewels. Unfortunately for Robert, Rick fought back. Let's see, the struggle ended with one gunshot, which hit Rick in the neck, and he bled out. Robert then took the bag with the jewels and Rick's Rolex watch. He fled the room and met Brandy in the hallway, where they left the hotel and disappeared. What did she um, think was going to happen when her boyfriend took a gun in the room? Well, she thought he was just going to uh, armed robbery him. Just a little steal. Out they go with a pocket full of jewels. In fact, I bet you that their plan, her plan, was to take said jewels and run the jewels out of the hotel. Fast, probably. Run the jewels fast. Run the jewels fast, for sure. Run the jewels fast. Run the, run, 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 run the jewels fast, right? Pioneers. Rick's disappearance did not go unnoticed. After not showing up for a commercial shoot for a new venture, Rick's business partner slash lawyer filed a missing persons report. Rick had been last seen on Thursday, leaving his home with a million dollars worth of jewelry and going to meet a woman and her friend for coffee. Meanwhile, back at the hotel, a maid was getting ready to clean the third floor. At 1.15 p.m., she showed up to a door with a do not disturb sign. Checkout time for the room had passed, so she let herself in. She's like, these motherfuckers think they can keep me from disturbing them. They didn't pay for another day. She found a dead man on the floor in a puddle of blood. Police arrived and almost instantly knew that it was local celebrity Rick Chance. They also had his name on the registrar. Uh, I mean, they knew who the hotel room belonged to. He had his wallet on him. So, I mean, yeah. But also... Real truck. Do you know how fucked it would be if they were like, who is that? He looks really familiar. Yeah, he looks really familiar. <laughs> I bet you somebody did say that before they even... They were like, hey, it's probably that guy maid. looks familiar. And then someone else was like, oh, shit. There's probably the maid. <laughs> I don't think... He was face down, right? He was yeah, face he was down. Face so down. I don't think anyone... Okay, so it's kind of weird to say that they touched the body. Did they actually, like, lift his head up and look at his face? Because that is not... They pulled his wallet, and then they were like, Rick Chance, and then they kind of lifted it. Like, oh, shit. Oh, okay. Well, his face was actually, actually, like, sideways. So they didn't, like, flip him over and just destroy the crime scene immediately to be like, oh, my God, it's him. (laughs) They said, look at this. It was so nice of the killer not to shoot him in the face so we can still tell who it is. CSI was very popular then, and police were avidly watching it to make sure that they didn't fuck up. Police began to piece together what had happened in the hotel room the night before. They ran the scene of the crime looking for evidence. Rick still had an expensive ring and a wallet on his person. This ruled out armed robbery, but the police would soon learn that maybe that's exactly what had happened. It was a pinky, a pinky ring, too. Whoa, early yeah, 2000s. It was, it was bling bling pinky ring bling, for bling, sure. pinky ring. He probably tried to make someone kiss it, I bet, in his lifetime. How much money did he have in his wallet? 
There was actually like, I, it was almost probably a thousand dollars what they said, like but seven or eight hundred, yeah, yeah. That's not insured, so <laughs> yeah, that's why you only take a thousand dollars in cash. That's too much. You can carry like twenty dollars max. Nah, thousand dollars was chump change to old Rick Chance. Police started their investigation by asking questions to the hotel staff, none of whom saw anything out of the ordinary. Some guests claimed to have heard the gunshot, or in one case, a guest said she heard four gunshots and a scream, but none could really claim to have seen anything. The police reached out to the family of the victim, who told them about the real Rick Chance. Police found that Rick had a weakness for the ladies, was trying to crack into the diamond jewelry trade, and had set a meeting with two people at a coffee shop to show $1 million worth of jewelry on the day of the murder. I mean, this case is, like, perfectly set up for, like, a junior detective to, like, come in and be like, S- I'm going to solve this one. Like, it's, Oh, yeah, it's... they called us, like, a 310. They're like, hey, we got a 310. Send Jimmy down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jimmy rolls up on his bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> ring, ring. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm here to solve the crime. Oh, instead of ring, ring, he goes... Yeah, he, and he comes, he comes up the stairs and walks in the room. All right, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. No, no, no. What do we do in the first thing we come? Check the corners. And he just starts walking <laughs> to the corner. The big break in the case came from the security footage pulled from the front desk at the hotel. Now, you have to remember that this is the early 2000s, and the grainy outlines of the woman with Rick honestly looked like the ring girl standing in the lobby. But police released the footage on the nightly news, and a short time later, they had gotten quite a few calls. In those calls, Brandy Hungerford was identified as the woman in the video. Her own mother was the one that sealed the deal for the police, and they began the search. So what does that mean? Uh, his, her mom came into the police station and was the one that told them that that's my daughter, Brandy. She said, I can't be too sure, but I think that grainy, look, that grainy looking person is my daughter. Yeah, that's the weird thing. Have you seen <laughs> the picture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't. There's no way. They can barely identify it as a face. <laughs> they're all like in the documentary. They're like, the surveillance footage showed Rick with a beautiful young woman on his arm. It's and, like a potato. And the, yeah. they, they had like this footage that they tried to make look grainy, but you could still see that the model that they had chosen was very beautiful. And then uh, the, they show at the very end the footage, the actual footage. <laughs> it literally looks like just a giant round head i mean that's one of the things though is you can always if you see a picture of someone no matter how shitty and you know them especially as their mother you're gonna recognize them that's true that's why it sealed the deal for him i think was that her mother had been like nope that's my daughter (laughs) the only time in the 2000s when anyone recognized the film was when it was their own child yeah did brandy ever say anything about her mom basically turning her in no she i i from what I read, Brandy would have been understanding that her mom told would have turned her in because she Brandy knew right from wrong, knew she was doing something wrong, and felt bad about it. So her mom as turning, long as she feels bad, it's fine. Yeah, so her mom turning her in was like instant forgiveness. Like, yeah, you did the right thing. You can't really be mad at a person for doing the right thing, even if it sends you to jail. In the process of breaking down Brandy's life, the police were led to her current boyfriend a wanted criminal by the name of Robert Lemke. What? No one had seen the pair in a few days, so the police began to look into some of their close contacts. Robert's ex had been the last person to supposedly see him before they disappeared. She said that Robert had been bragging about a big score that he had just hit. After searching Tempe for the lovebirds on the lamb, police thought they might have better luck searching through Robert's past to find out if he had a destination in mind. 
What they found was a marijuana pipeline from Tacoma, Robert's hometown, to Tempe. Robert himself had set up. With a quick call to Tacoma PD, Tempe police found out more about Robert Lemke. He had a history of violence and was wanted by Tacoma police on numerous charges, and they would be more than happy to assist in the investigation to see if the two criminal canaries were holed up in Tacoma. Police searched Tacoma, and to their surprise, they found Robert pretty quickly. After a brief foot chase, police had their man in custody. But where the fuck was Brandy? Police went to the apartment where Robert was staying, knocked on the door, and you want to know who answered? Who's the that? door? Who's that? Brandy. Oh, shit. She's like... They're like, police, open up. She's like, who's here? Open the door. She thought they were strippers, probably. Robert was actually not arrested for murder at that point. He was arrested and charged with a felon in possession of a firearm. And that's what he was booked into Tacoma County Jail for. Whatever we can do to put him in, slap him in irons. Was Brandy arrested for murder? Brandy was arrested as a suspect in a murder investigation. Tacoma PD now had both suspects in custody and were ready to begin interrogation. Robert held tough and pled the fifth, asking for an attorney, while Brandy had a different approach. She spilled her guts, starting with the entire plan that had begun weeks before. Robert had hatched the plan, and she was just there as the honeypot to attract the flies. Their first attempt to rob Rick had been a disaster, but they had to keep on trying, as neither had any skill other than shaking their tiddly bits for dollar bills. The plan was to get him to the hotel, distract him, and let Robert into the room to hold him up and steal the jewels. Now, what I don't understand is, if this was the plan, how did they think they were going to get away with this? Two well-known strippers that aren't super low-key... Exotic dancers. Sorry. Two exotic dancers that are well-known, that aren't super low-key, flirt with a guy for weeks, meet him more than once, rob him, and just have the ability to go about their day and spend their millions. What were they thinking? What was? What do you think the background plan was for that? There wasn't one. They no. Oh, yeah, they were going to kill him. They thought they could get money, and that was it. Dumb. That's all they were thinking about. Like I said, it was an itty-bitty, teeny-tiny little light in Robert's head got this whole plan going. Brandy claims that there was to be no violence against Rick, but not wanting to be ripped off for a million dollars worth of jewels, he fought back and was accidentally shot in the struggle. Brandy said that she had seen none of this and was in the hallway, but Robert had told her about it as they drove away from the hotel. The court process can be slow, but in this instance, it moved swifter than most. You could say it was a bit swifty. (laughs) It got swifty. It got swifty. In 2005, Lemke was found guilty on two counts of aggravated robbery. The jury was deadlocked on the felony murder charge, and the judge could therefore not sentence him for it. Some fuckery with double jeopardy that we're going to let Katie explain happened, but he eventually pled guilty to a lesser charge to avoid the death penalty. Okay, so do you guys know what double jeopardy is? I saw the movie with Ashley Judd where a person cannot be charged with the same crime twice if they're found innocent. Yeah, so your Fifth Amendment right states that, and I don't know exactly, the exact wording of it, but basically says that for the same crime, no man shall be put in jeopardy twice of life and limb. So you, if you are acquitted of a crime, you cannot be charged and taken to court for that same crime. Substantially similar crime. With Lemke, what he did is he was taken to court and the jury deadlocked on the felony murder charge that he was being tried for. And so... 
What that means, when the jury deadlocks, you're not being acquitted. You can still be, it's basically just a mistrial. You go back and you go with another jury and see if they can find you guilty or acquit you. So Jeopardy, again, it continues in that situation. So what Lemke did when they took him to the second trial is he tried to say to the trial judge, this is double Jeopardy because the jury didn't find me guilty the first time. They didn't acquit him, they just didn't find him guilty. So the trial judge basically laughed in his face and said that's not at all how double jeopardy works. So he, instead of going to trial, pled guilty on the felony murder, was sentenced to life for it. And in that plea, he agreed that he would not appeal at all, basically. That's usually part of your plea agreement is that you will not appeal your charges because you admitted you were guilty. So then he went to, I think it was the Supreme Court, of Arizona and tried to appeal double jeopardy again and that judge that ruled on it said how did this get in front of me (laughs) (laughs) like what in the fuck is this guy doing here technically it's more legal jargon but technically the plea agreement saying that he couldn't appeal he still had the opportunity to counterattack on the charges that he pled guilty to but not in a double jeopardy manner he just doesn't understand that double jeopardy does not exist when you were, when a mistrial is held and not, you have to be acquitted. A jury has to find you not guilty. Okay. Has to. So the, the double jeopardy is predicated on a not guilty verdict mm-hmm. on a crime that you is have to similar. Be acquitted. Or, okay. Substantially similar. Brandy pleaded out to second degree murder and was released from prison in 2016 after serving her sentence. She was released from her probation in 2018. So she's wandering around somewhere. She's listening. If She did her, she time, did her time, and she did not intend for Rick to be murdered. So she says. Rory has a real good point. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah, that's the thing. Well, there's no crime. Stu- being stupid is not a crime. So When you're not the one holding the gun and doing the actual robbery, I don't think your thought process goes that far as to... Yeah. My, especially when you're dating the person. Like, if I was dating somebody and I asked them to take a gun and rob somebody, I wouldn't immediately go, oh, well, he's probably going to shoot them. Because mm-hmm. you love that person and you assume that they can't hurt anyone. Well, lucky for her, the jury saw it your way and she got... Well, she testified against him. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a plea agreement, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But is that going to do it for us this week, Jake? That's going to wrap it up, Rory. Well, guys, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R Corners Crimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast, on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and at Four Corners Crimecast.tumblr.com. And don't forget to check us out on Apple Podcasts. Go over there to uh, give us a rate and review. Follow us on Spotify and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can get a full episode list. You can send in an idea for an episode you want to hear, or you can get a free sticker from our merch store by typing in the code BINGOBANGO at checkout. We're going to send it out to you for free. So if you guys hear any bang bang in the background, you know, we're recording this during the 4th of July and there's some people setting off some fireworks. So if you guys are setting off fireworks, be safe. Don't blow off a hand. Don't kill your sibling with fireworks. Don't drink and drive either. Oh, yeah, don't drink and drive. And, uh, you know. Don't murder people. Don't murder people. With fireworks. All right, guys, talk to you later. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers!
Despite this is close. 